0: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where we post deals, bargains for you around the clock. Coming up in just a few minutes, today's Clark-rageous moment, deal or no deal, private real estate placements. They're hot. Do they have any place in your life? And coming up yet later, we know all about being able to rent a place on Airbnb or VRBO or whatever. What about you making money renting out your car an hour at a time, a day at a time, or a week at a time? I'm going to fill you in on that as a potential money-making opportunity. So... I saw something that really distressed me recently, and it concerned when people are saving money in a retirement plan at work, in a 401k typically, that way too often people with a 401k will rate it at some time in their working life. Either they'll do a loan against it, they'll do um, a hardship withdrawal, or when they change jobs, this happens a lot, they just spend the money. So this is crazy according to research at the Federal Reserve. Somewhere around 40 cents of every dollar that people put into a 401k, they'll withdraw before retirement, meaning they don't have that money in retirement. The reason why people do that is because something will happen in their lives and they don't have any money to deal with that something, what's known as an unexpected expense. And the typical, this is, I never have seen this stat before. When somebody faces what would be considered to be a major unexpected expense in their lives, somebody actually figured out the Pew Research people figured out what is the average amount that an unexpected emergency costs you when that pops up. Any idea? Is it $200? $5,000? $500? Well, the average unexpected emergency expense is right around $2,000. So that is something that uh, most people aren't able to handle. Most people don't have $2,000 handy to handle an emergency. So I saw an item in the Wall Street Journal that more and more employers are offering personal finance programs with carrots of emergency money if you attend the program because employers have found that when somebody's in personal financial distress, their work performance deteriorates rapidly. Their absenteeism increases. In fact, the turnover can increase because of it. So one particular bank, Bank SunTrust, which is in the East Coast of the United States, they're doing a merger with another larger bank called bb and They've done an incentive plan where if people go through their personal finance program, they give them money. They give you $1,000, and 80% of their employees are participating. Turns out there are now a couple hundred companies that are offering these programs in order to increase employee productivity, reduce turnover reduce stress in their employees. I want you to think about that. Employers don't do things principally out of altruism. That's enlightened self-interest, one of the greatest principles of capitalism, where a company does something that is good for them but also happens to be very good for that employee and his or her family. And if it is this important to employers to reduce stress, it just speaks to how much anxiety you can provoke in your life by not living on less than what you make and why the core principles that I want you to live by with how you handle your money, it all starts with you from the get-go learning ways to have the habits that you live on less than what you make. Bob is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Bob. Hey, good afternoon, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Bob. You got a question for me that I'm so excited to answer because I've had uh, more than a handful of these in the last few months.
1: Yeah, well, I've been looking around at alternative savings plans instead of even some of the online banks that, you know, pay 2% or 2.5% and um, sometimes a little bit better, Uh, but just looking for other ideas, and I came across a site that is offering a 5% um, rate of return. And it appears that it, you know, again, based upon the website, it looks like it's pretty solid. But you can't go by that. And I know you've had experience with peer-to-peer lending in the past, and this is a a form of that, I believe. And um,
0: just wondered if you had heard of this one or if you had any information that uh, I'm not going to name them. I'm not going to name them because they're not a scam, at least as far as I know. But what they do is incredibly high risk for what is relatively a modest return. The, this is a uh, one of the companies peddling, and, and as I said, I'm getting more and more calls about this from various uh, organizations pushing what are essentially promissory notes. They offer to you an above-market interest rate, in their case 5%, right? Right, right. They offer you the 5%, and then what they do with the money that you lend to them, because that's what you're doing in a promissory note, is you lend them that money, and then they turn around and use that money, at least they claim they use that money, to lend to businesses or individuals at a spread so you're getting the 5%. They're getting whatever they get after people pay and after whatever bad debt write-offs they have. So you're a form of supplying capital to them, but the risk level for you is extremely high in relation to the 5% return in the promissory note. I also want to uh, mention something. This company, along with uh, several others that I've heard about of late, are using the term bond for the promissory notes. And people think of bonds... It's a term that means something's ultra safe, but in this case, that's being used as a marketing term. This is not at all like a traditional bond that would be issued by a well-known public company or a government agency or something like this. These are not classic bonds at all. These are, um, it's just window dressing to call them that instead of what they really are a promissory note. So this would be something that's for somebody who is really willing to take on significant risk. So
1: it would kind of be a principal risk, um, a la
0: a high yield bond, kind of a yes um, you, of an investment, except more risky than a high yield bond. Oh, because okay. the and default rate in my mix, <laughs> default rate of a promissory note is extremely high. Where okay. with Um, high-yield bonds, you know, corporate bonds that are below investment grade or municipal bonds below investment grade, the failure rates are still amazingly relatively low. But when you get into a private kind of sale of a promissory note, the failure rates are pretty high across the board. So this would not be for the faint of heart. Well, I will move on from this, and I I knew you'd have a good answer for me. And I hope you have a great day, and I'm glad that I was able to be of service. Courtney's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Courtney. Hope I can be of help to you.
2: Thank you. I hope you can, too. (laughs) What's going on? Well, I'm a sole proprietor. And um, I took a huge leap of faith to go independent. And so far, it's working out beautifully. Um, I have managed to work myself out of debt, um, but for the taxes that come with being self pur- um, self-proprietor. self um, Now, do you know about means, how
0: you can shelter some of that by doing... Are you the only employee of your enterprise?
2: Uh, I am. I'm... I'm the one any, and only. My question was actually okay.
0: Well, I want to just make sure because you mentioned the taxes, so that immediately mm-hmm. makes me think about: Has anyone mentioned to you about a solo or self-employed four hundred one k? No. So, as a sole proprietor running your own business, the most effective way you can reduce current tax is to do a self-employed 401k, which any of my low-cost companies offer now that I've got on my investment guide, and you're mm-hmm. able to shelter as much or as little in a year of the income you have from tax as you wish up to a cap that's very high. It's thousand dollars you can put in in a year or down to as little as zero. Gracious. And so you can do a, the simplest plan to do is something called a SEP, SEP, which is just a modified version of an IRA, or there was a little more paperwork, but considered to have more flexibility as a single individual in operation doing the self employed 401k. So if you're having this great success with your business, it gives you a twofer, it gives you the ability to essentially defer tax and build up money for the long term for retirement that's wonderful um, so but that's not what you called me about at all is it
2: it's not it's a bonus <laughs> okay that's, how can i that's help you? homework know? that's wonderful well I, w- I was trying to give you a picture of what my situation is and um this was a huge leap of faith so it meant going without any insurance which is of course a huge risk now i have been able to um work Um, what do you call it, supplemental insurance into my budget. But I need something, I'm thinking I'm needing something that will be a good, solid, catastrophic care um, policy. And I I don't think I would be able to work a full plan into my budget, but I think maybe at least a good catastrophic care policy that can handle the things that I never
0: could handle on my own. So you're going to have to wait till the fall to buy the good stuff which is Mm -hmm. the policies that you can buy on healthcare.gov and what used to be called the Obamacare exchange, Mm because those are going to be fully compliant plans, meaning that any condition you have is covered. But for entrepreneurs, you can buy what's known as an HSA-eligible plan, which is really for catastrophic circumstance with very high deductibles, and then that opens up for you the second part of something that's fantastic for you being self-employed, and that is it makes you uh, then eligible to do an HSA, a health savings account, which is the mm-hmm. best deal available to the self-employed under the tax code. It allows you to put in pre-tax money into this account each year. You can have that money grow tax-free and then you spend it tax-free. Think about that. It's like being able to do a regular IRA and a Roth IRA all in one, that you get a tax deal up front, and then that money flows to you completely tax-free, used for medical expenses. Wow. Okay. So for you, I think by far the best alternative, if you can afford the monthly premiums, would be to take a high-deductible HSA-eligible plan, and tie in with it doing the hsa all right
2: is that is that that did i just overwhelm
0: you with initials and all that
2: no no i've been making notes um i'm a little surprised i didn't think that would be the answer but but that's why i called you
0: (laughs) well because if you go into a compliant plan you don't have to worry that any illness you have or anything like that is going to be redlined as being a pre-existing condition and then above a certain level you're covered 100%. So the initial exposure with the high deductible is very big money out of your pocket, but then past that point, you know you have peace of mind for any medical expenses pretty much beyond that amount. Today's Clark-rageous moment is yet another reiteration of something that I've uh, answered many questions about over the last two years. And that's why you need to be so careful with any kind of private placement in real estate. Just a few minutes ago, I took a call from someone about uh, private placement with a company through something called promissory notes and how dangerous they are. Well, one of the biggest landlords in the United States has now been accused by the Justice Department of running a criminally uh, fraudulent enterprise running a big Ponzi scheme where this is a guy who actually owns properties, huge number of properties across 14 different states, but he raised $110 million from people that actually was not invested in his properties and was converted to personal use or later investors paying off, earlier investors. And it's the big danger with any offering you get, for doing a private real estate deal or a private real estate investment. The oversight up front is very poor. The disclosures are absolutely almost non-existent. It's all boilerplate, print right out of the database kind of forms you're given without any real meat to them about what's going on and how you're protected. In addition, when you put money in one of these, You have a really hard time ever getting your money out. So I know that there's a lot of nervousness about traditional investing right now. And it's making people more vulnerable to getting taken in private placements, Ponzi schemes, and private investments. Be wary, be aware, be careful. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show where you learn ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. When you have a question for me, go to clark.com slash ask. So sometimes there are business opportunities that I just miss. They're staring me right in the face and I miss them. I want to give you an example of one. So... I shared with you, it's been a few years ago now, how people were buying exotic cars, sports cars, Teslas, whatever, and they were listing them on Turo or Getaround, which are car sharing apps that work kind of like Airbnb does for renting a room in somebody's house or renting their apartment or whatever. And so people who really wanted to have a Corvette or wanted to have whatever were paying for it by renting them out so many days a year on the apps. And then I shared with you that I was talking with a woman at a convenience store that had a Tesla charging bank of Tesla charging stations, that she had just rented it for the weekend and she couldn't figure out how to how to charge the car. And so I went over and showed her how to charge the car. And we talked for a couple of minutes and finally she told me what she was paying per day. She was paying, I think it was $150, it has been a while, I think it was 150 a day she was paying to rent the car. And that's how the owner of that Tesla was able to buy a vehicle they normally wouldn't be able to afford by basically letting other people car share with them. You get a million dollars in liability coverage from these people if the person you rent it to ends up wrecking it. Don't know how effective that is necessarily. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not a lawyer. But here's the angle I missed completely. And I thank the Florida Sun-Sentinel for filling me in on this because I did not know. There are entrepreneurs that are buying vehicles that are just regular old, I got to run around town vehicle kind of things, buying them a couple years old, they have a business model where they don't ever want vehicles with high miles. They look for them with fifteen to 25,000 miles, that kind of range, so you can buy them really inexpensively used and good shape, and then they start renting them out, and that's the full-time thing they do with those vehicles, and they profile people who, this is how they earn their living now, is they have a fleet of a couple-year-old vehicles that they put on these apps, and people who... Maybe their car is broken down or whatever the circumstance. They need an extra vehicle for a few hours or a day or several days or whatever. And they're earning a living doing it. I never thought that through. Uh, A couple of things that I learned through this is the apps take about a quarter of the revenue. You get three quarters, typically, that the people who are doing this as a side business, or like as a business business, that they've got their formulas. They know how much they should be paying for a vehicle, never buying them new, buying them used, but um, almost like if you've rented a car from the major car rental companies lately, a lot of times they've got a lot more miles on them than they used to. These people that are doing this are buying vehicles with lower miles than that and putting them on the road. So there are always opportunities. And the other thing, the other side of this equation is for you. Did you even know that Turo and Get Around existed when you need wheels for a very short period of time? Now, the only dark cloud over all this, just like with Airbnb where local communities are responding to uh, legitimate community concerns and then those AstroTurf campaigns being run by the hotel chains where they're trying to restrict people's abilities to list properties on Airbnb and the circumstances where they can rent them, the major car rental companies are spending a fortune trying to get state legislatures to pass laws that essentially would outlaw these apps where you could do car share. And just want you to know that that you don't want to go into this where you put too much resources into it In the event that suddenly, as a business, this disintegrates. Mike is with us on The Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mike. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. How about yourself? Wonderful. Thank you. So you have your own side business.
1: Yes. Uh, So my husband and I just started a side business. We're selling his custom-built handcrafted terrariums at different shows and
0: events and stuff. And, you know, the majority Wow, of how did he and, get that yeah. as an area of interest? That's fascinating.
1: Well, he's been into plants and, um, you know, terrariums and things like that for his whole life. And, um, you know, so he has many years of experience putting things together. So it's definitely an art. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I don't have very many art skills, but he certainly does. Um, and, and they look great and people love them. So um, I'm, I'm really proud and happy that he's doing it.
0: Well, that's neat. How can I be of help to him with that?
1: So, we are processing a lot of our transactions with credit cards, and we have all of the money deposited into a separate checking account that's not with our personal um, finances, and we're paying some business expenses out of it just to keep the money separated. But my question is, in the event that there's a dispute with a customer and they initiate a chargeback, how much time do I have to know that that money that's in the checking account is safe from a chargeback? Like, does it need to stay in there a month or two? Or, um, you know, is there time that I know that there's a chargeback coming? You know, so I don't
0: generally people have, um, as a general rule, they have 60 days to dispute okay. a transaction. Now, is Card present? Is he getting a signature when somebody buys one of the terrariums?
1: Uh, No, it's um, no. There's no signature required through the app. It said,
0: "Okay, but the card is present. They present the the card card. is present." Okay, so the reason I ask that, you know, there's uh, there's a presumption when card is present, unless the person alleges it was the card was stolen from them. If card is present, then there's a higher burden of proof on them to dispute the charge than if card is not present. So that's good that the card is being presented each time. Okay. Um, So, yeah, so generally, if you figure once you're through the 60 days, you're in the clear. But I have a different question for you. How many transactions are you typically running in a month?
1: Um, Right now, not terribly many. Um, So with the show we had last week, we had maybe 15 or 20 transactions.
0: And so, how often so. are you getting a chargeback?
1: We haven't had one yet.
0: Fantastic. So you can I also. Don't want to start. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you can also tell that if continually you're doing transactions and nobody's ever disputing them, that you're not going to have a big problem with the chargebacks. Okay. You now, there are certain okay. businesses. That generate a lot of chargebacks and what you're doing uh, is so specialized that it's very unlikely that chargebacks are going to be a big issue for you
1: good to hear good to hear so if a customer does start a chargeback is that something that we'll know about before the money comes out of our checking account depends on the
0: vendor the, okay. you know <laughs> depends on who you're clearing with so okay. sometimes Uh, The money is gone before anybody's told you anything, and they'll send you an email or a notice in regular mail that there's been a dispute initiated, and every merchant processor is different on their procedures, on how they notify, and at what point they just go ahead and take money away from you or whatever, and it's a real hassle as a merchant The most important thing is to stay calm, keep good records, and respond quickly when there is an allegation that you didn't live up to your part of the bargain. You need to make sure that you are thorough in responding so that uh, you have credibility and you're more able to sustain that charge instead of the customer being able to be successful with the dispute. Gosh, I just sounded like I sounded like such a bureaucrat just then. Sorry about that, Mike. (laughs) But that is how it works. Mary's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mary. Hi, Clark.
3: Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Mary. Um, I enjoy listening to your show and your podcast. And um, I think I've been listening too much and too long because others have been known to call you my boyfriend because I refer to you way too often. (laughs)
0: Wow, okay. As long Um, as anybody who'd get upset doesn't carry a gun, I'm fine.
3: Oh, no, it's it's kind of a good joke in our family. Okay. Um, Anyway, um, I have received a letter from an online bank offering $500 cash bonus to open um, a 360 money market account, and I need to give them $50,000 of new money. And, um, At this time, on Bankrate.com, this online bank offers 2% on um, their money market accounts, which is less than some other online accounts and institutions. So my question is, first of all, is this a scam? Even though um, I do have a credit card with this company and a a debit card, but... um, Is it a scam? And then my second question is, do I get 2% on my money in addition to the $500 cash bonus?
0: You do. And let me tell you, I know this offer backwards and forwards. Oh, okay. This is from Capital One. who's a massive player in the credit card business. And what most people are not aware of is they are a big bank presence as well. And their online bank Loves to attract deposits because they want to be able to grow their credit card portfolio. And think about this: they, um, you lend them money at two percent, and they lend it back out at an average of probably eighteen percent. So it's a uh-huh. good business to be in.
3: Yeah. Oh, so it's
0: completely FDIC insured. Now this offer requires a special code. Right to be able to get the five hundred dollars, and I'm going to mention it for others if they're interested in this Capital One deal. It's the code is SPRE, spree s p r e e five hundred, and you have to do it by July 31st. You right. also have to have ten thousand bucks. Oh, fifty thousand. Oh, I'm sorry. Right, fifty thousand for the five hundred, ten thousand right. to earn the two percent or more. Right. So uh, yeah. So 50. not a lot of people are going to be in the fortunate position you're in that you have fifty grand to do it, but you double-dip because you get the $500 plus the 2%, which is effectively more than you can earn putting money into one that might be earning half a point higher.
3: Correct, correct. Um, but the mice type on the back did not say that the um, 2% was in addition to the 500, so I was...
0: No, you get the 2% <laughs> automatically. Oh, okay. That's just the rate they're paying, and then the bonus on top of it is the five hundred dollars. As long as you keep the money in there, or you'll have to remind me—is it three months or six months?
3: Um, it is. Um, it is three months, but but they don't deposit the five hundred dollars into your account until up to sixty days later. So it really is like it's a five
0: price. months. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. But it's, a, it's the legit deal, and they're hoping that once the money's there, you'll be a creature of habit, and you'll leave the money there, even though Capital One may be paying a little less than uh, some of the other online banks. So then at that point, you'll have to make a decision. Do you move your money on, or do you leave it behind with them? Carolyn's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Carolyn. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. So, Carolyn, you're trying to do what you can to boost that credit score of yours. Tell me what's going on.
3: Correct. Um, I'm currently renting. I was looking at purchasing a home and land in about six months. And the company I'm renting a house through has come up with an offer to boost your credit score if you give them six ninety five a month. They'll report positive for your credit report. And they're claiming within two months your score can go up 28 points. Which would put me into a better interest rate.
0: So, is it legit? Yeah, it is legit. Um, it may not be as huge a home run as it's being pitched to you because when you go to apply for a mortgage, there's a, a mortgage credit report and scoring model that's a specialized report. And I guess it will okay. depend on the specialty the company doing the specialty report for a mortgage lender if they actually scrape up the the positive rent payments in their scoring model. So, oh,
3: okay. so it
0: there are many, many different versions of scoring models. And the weird thing, all right, I want you to think about this. For something, when you're renting a place, that's not considered to be a loan or credit, right? Correct. So what's, what's happened historically with credit reporting is that if you're late on making payments for things that are not credit, that can then be reported to the credit bureau. But making Correct. payments on time every month has never historically helped you. It's so weird that non-credit stuff can hurt but not help. So this exactly. idea of paying them the junk fee every month is then they'll report your on-time payments and give you a positive thing every month. But what really matters is what other actual real credit do you have? Like, do you have any credit cards? Do you have a car loan? Do you have anything like that? Yes. And if you don't mind, in general terms, what kind of credit score are you at right now? 720. All right, 720 gets you into range of getting... A really good mortgage rate. And so if you're hoping for a little booster shot from this, the biggest booster shot you can give yourself that would push up that seven twenty is to reduce your utilization of your credit cards. Got it. Do you know how that works? Yes. Do you know what your utilization ratio is right now?
3: Thirty five or About
0: 40%, 40%. Ah, this is where you're going to have the big impact. If you can significantly reduce that down um, below 30%, that's where you're going to have, because 30% is kind of like neutral territory for a good score. And everything you go above 30% harms your score, and everything you go below 30% use or utilization of your available credit it gives a booster to your score. So that's the magic number. That's much more important than paying them $7 a month to report your rent. Fabulous. And are you signed up for Credit Sesame or Credit Karma? Credit Karma. All right, so they will they'll coach it. they'll coach yeah. you through how many how, what the big benefit's going to be for you if you do in fact get those utilization rates down, and you'll see your score move up quite nicely because that accounts for 30% of your credit score. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.